when Luther and Calvin and Melanchthon and others, you know, all the reformers, when they when they told us to study the scripture, they said, everything you read in here, it's not Genesis to Malachi is law and old covenant, right. and Matthew to Revelation is new covenant and grace. There, there's grace in Genesis one. There's law in Revelation 20, 21. Yes. There's and you and the key to living a, a fruitful, glorious, overcoming life in the middle of place of the cross is to be able to discern between the two. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. I'm here with Joshua West. How are you doing today, Joshua West? Uh, doing well. How yeah, about yourself? Yeah, doing good. Just got back from uh, Mexico and Cuba at a pastor's conference. There, uh, Maybe I'll share a little bit more about that. But I uh, just want to take a moment first to welcome you, those of you that are listening, those of you that are watching. We're going to be talking about the law and the gospel today, uh, an episode that could really help you uh, distinguish these two elements of the Word of God, they're, they're, they're both important, they're both useful to us, they both serve in different purposes, and they're both important to discern between the two. Martin Luther said this is the key element in reading the Scripture. If you can understand the difference between what is law and the difference between what is gospel, you will come out a different person. You'll you'll come into a new, new way of living. So, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today, Josh. Glad we have this time together. Um, just going to give a little update on yeah, Mexico, Cuba. It was... I saw online. Uh, you know, followed it through some of the videos posted, and okay. oh, it was so encouraging. Yeah, yeah. There was close to uh, well, there's about two thousand people at the pastors' conference in Mexico. Not only were pastors, they they brought some young people as well, which was encouraging. That I think they wanted them to sit in there with the hopes of their heart being stirred towards future ministry. Uh, that was an element that surprised me, but I was blessed to see see that. And they, of course, were so enthusiastic about worship, and we we we, we I think we saw God really do a deep work in their lives. The prayer times at the end of each service were very rich. People real hungry, crying out to God. But then we went on to Cuba, and that was that was uh, challenging but encouraging. You know, it's a closed country, communist country, and they are. Um, but the church there is is just brilliant. Uh, suffering, being persecuted, uh, not not in a physical way, but more an emotional, difficult way. But uh, <clears throat> they are uh, thriving and growing and reaching people in the gospel and seeing seeing good things happen. So I think we were the role there was more encouraging than anything else, just helping hold up hands of our our brothers there. In Definitely, Cuba. yeah, it was nice. I think uh, maybe it was. R.C. Sproul, um, who said, and many people have probably said this, but you know, it's uh, it's in persecution of, often that we f- we find the thriving church. You know, yeah. fastest growing church in the world being yeah. in Iran. You know, so it's like not that we pray yeah. for persecution, but it's right. in those conditions. I think that it kind of refines the intentions of people. There really is no middle road Christianity yeah. in a place where you actually have to suffer for your faith. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not in it for the benefit of. Uh, Social right. uh, affluence or anything like that, you know, a social status. Uh, but the, yeah, there, there was um, it was good things. It was good to see, you know, the the people just with that that spiritual hunger was was amazing to see. And that they, they, you you definitely have that. They the one thing that the pastors in Cuba commented uh, what blessed them and benefited the most was they said a lot of Americans that come there and there's not a whole lot, but there's some that do. They always have a particular program and agenda that they're trying to get the church there to adopt. So become a small group church, you know, become a, uh, you know, faith and prosperity church or become a, a signs and wonders church, you know, and they said, and we just came with the gospel. Yeah. We came, we came to tell them about Jesus and that, that, that never gets old and that's never too, um, too old school. It's, it was always refreshing. It's always to get back to the gospel. And uh, whether you're in Cuba or in here in the United States, it's 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 bizarre how little we know and fully live and understand the gospel, and that's what we'll be talking about today, as opposed to the law. Definitely, and, and how, I how I, I think sometimes Gary too. One of the just you know what you mentioned about people going to from America to other countries um, with an agenda, you know, other than the gospel. Is sometimes now there are times where you know, by God's grace, we have through this country and through Western civilization have taken the gospel places where it, it isn't it isn't known. People don't know the name of Jesus, and that's so important, beneficial part of the Great Commission. 
But, you know, when you go to a place where you have Christian brothers and sisters that are that are part of the same universal church, that are loving, living for Christ, you know, I think it, it's so disingenuous to just come over there with your little packaged, you know, thing mm-hmm. that you're, even if it's not for financial gain, that you're trying to sell them rather than, you know, like Paul, you know, wanting to go and be an encouragement to a church that's struggling or mm-hmm. that needs encouragement or needs support. And I think sometimes... You know, we don't we 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 think about it the wrong way because it's been my experience when I've traveled overseas to go be a blessing to people who are already in the faith, not not proclaiming the gospel to people who don't haven't heard Jesus. That's something different. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, it's mutually encouraged. We're mutually encouraged in the gospel. They get something from my presence. I get something from them. We're both encouraged in Christ, and uh, so yeah, it was it was it was really great. I can't wait to hear more from you guys about what God did while you were there. Yeah, thank you. That, that uh, And oftentimes we put those the sermons from the content from those conferences on our website so people could be looking for that in, in the near future. Uh, speaking of things that are on our website or <clears throat> on YouTube, uh, as we're talking about the law and the gospel here today, uh, we won't spend a lot of time on what is the gospel. We'll talk more about what is the law because we did a whole episode on what is the gospel. I think it's I think I was told it was uh, number 202 in that. So you can go online and uh, whether wherever you listen to this podcast and, and uh, listen to that one. What is the gospel? Because we break that down and today we'll align that to how we can how we can use the gospel and the law for, for, for our own spiritual growth, for our own benefit, for the things that God wants to do in our life. But listen to episode 202. And also, I just want to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. And if you want to leave a rating, hopefully a good one, that'd be nice. Um, if there was a rating, you know, one for Josh, one for Gary, he would get the high marks. And I'm joking. <laughs> we have fun together. It's been, it's been good the last few months to have Joshua West with us. Um, partnering in this. So let's get right into this. The, uh, the you know, Just real briefly, the gospel, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that, if you could say it in a, a nutshell, uh, you know, God created man to be in relationship with him, but sin broke down that relationship. <clears throat> God introduced, because man wanted to try to achieve reconciliation with God by his own efforts, he introduced the law to show man that he couldn't do that. And, and then Christ came both to forgive us of our sins and fulfill the law, uh, that these two things are, are are crucially important, and we tend to only emphasize one. He forgave he gave he gave the forgiveness of sins, but 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 the two are important. He had to forgive our sins, but even if our sins were forgiven, we still would not be in right relationship with God because we have to be perfectly righteous. Uh, God won't even look at sin, let alone be in relationship with somebody in sin. So, Christ had a a, a twofold or a double. Uh, uh, empowerment to us, one taking away all of our past sins, sins uh, that that we were cleansed and washed and made new, but he also then imputed his righteousness to us, and that's that's the double blessing of the of the gospel that Christ has has, and that's what when he says it is finished, it's not just I finished forgiving you, but I finished <laughs> imputing righteousness to you, so yes. that you can stand now perfect, holy, pure before God. In in Christ, being grafted into Christ, and Christ imputed His righteousness into us. So that's that's the gospel, uh, the law. You want to take a shot at that? What, what would you just? Where would you start if you were just saying the the law opposed to the gospel is is, is this? Well, you know, I think uh, one of the things that's important when we think about the progressive nature in which God revealed Himself to humanity uh, in time past is that God you know, obviously revealed the law first. And and I don't know if you want to get into this part, you know, the different branches of law yet, but but when we talk about the moral law of God, we're we're not talking about just a list of do's and don'ts. Now that's thou shalt not is communicated to a fallen humanity because we have a disposition uh, against God. We're enemies of God. So those thou shalt nots are in the negative. But on the positive side of those things, um, you know, we see the superlative nature of God, which is that in his attributes, he is fully, you know, everything, fully loving, fully just. And then the superlative of all those is he is holy, holy, holy. Mm -hmm. And so when God revealed the moral law 
to his people, um, he was revealing himself to them. Yeah. And so we can't ever, we can't discard the law. You know, obviously we think about the sort of um, the introduction of God's law, which we see uh, in, in the life of Moses, where, uh, you know, Moses went up onto the mountaintop and uh, received the Ten Commandments. But, but, the, mo- but the law of God in, in and of itself uh, relates to all of humanity, no matter if we want to accept it or not. This is the character of God. This is who God is. This is what God expects from, from people, not because he's, um, you know, uh, petty, but because he's holy. And so I, I, to me, I think the most important thing I could say about the law of God is, is this is tied into the nature of God. Mm-hmm. And so um, the three branches of law being moral, which is the character of God, civil or civic, which is how God's people relate to God and to each other, and especially in the context of the Jews, the Hebrews. Um, and then we had the ceremonial law, which we know that Christ has fully fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I think the moral law is the place to start because yeah. this is, um, it's timeless. We, Christ has fulfilled the law, but we don't discard the moral law of God. We, even though we can't be saved by it, um, yeah, it is a it is what shows us that we we're not God, unlike what the serpent told Eve in the garden. We're not God. Um, and in our fallen state, we're really not like God. And that's what pushes us towards the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. The, so really, when we're talking about the law, usually our minds go towards Ten Commandments or uh, some of, some others have, have have spoken about if you add up all the different commands of God to His people, particularly in the Old Testament, there'd be 613 rules, regulations, laws. Yep. Um, but really, that even before Moses was God's law was still correct. It was, it was there in the garden. It, it's there in His nature. It, his law is, this is who I am. I am. I am holy. I am just. I am right. His attributes are really. Um, when when we when we see his attribute, it is actually comes to us in a sense as a law. He's holy, so we have to be holy. Right. He's just, so we have to be just. He's love, so there's a requirement on us of love. So, so in some senses, the law never passes away. <clears throat> Being justified by the law is what is is now uh, done away with. But but if you go back, I think I found this interesting as my st- I studied the law and the gospel. And before I say this, let me just say this is important to us because if you do this wrong, if you get this wrong, if if you're if you're if you need to be under the law and you're living under a false gospel, like like you have not let the law do its work in you, right? Uh, and, and and you're just accepting the gospel. It's like oh, I'm not a sinner, but you know Jesus is nice and he's my friend and. And he accepts me just as I am. Then you have this, this you know, antinomianism that, that there's no law, and so those people need to realize the law is applied to them. They, they, they have not let the law work in their heart, the the sense of the wretchedness of the soul and the, and the distance from God and the the, the horror of their departure from Him in rebellion. The law applies to all of us. Yeah. What did he, Paul say in Romans? Not to cut you off, no, please. but he said, um, I mean, we're, we're subject to the law. No matter what, yeah. he says, the Jew will die under the law. The Gentile will die outside the law. Yeah. You know, and then he goes into his discourse that none are good, no, not one. Right. You know, and it just just brings us to this place of despair. So it's not like this idea of, oh, well, if I'm a Christian, I'm under the law. If I accept God, we're talking about the God of the universe. And so just to kind of expand on what you're saying, we are under the law, you know, and not to go to the ends of the gospel. The question is, will we stand before God based on how we kept the law or on how Christ kept the law? law. Yeah, yeah. so the law still, no, the law still applies. It's just for what? So I I would suggest that both the law— and the gospel have, have are part of God's plan of redemption. Amen. Um, the the law was meant to, you know, if, if you could keep the law perfectly, you would be redeemed. You you would stand justified before God. But but you can't do that. And you've said this many times. You know, to truly understand the law and gospel, you have to understand how holy God is and how unrighteous we are. And so I, I just made myself some notes this week. It's and it's like so if man was sinful and God was unholy. We'd be equal. We could we could stand before him. <laughs> right. Uh, but if but or if man was not sinful, and God was holy, all would be well. Uh, so if, if Adam and Eve never sinned, we, we'd be fine. But the reality is that man 
is sinful and God is perfectly holy. And the sinfulness is the, the it's, we're lawbreakers. So we, so we could not keep the law. And so the law can never do what, you know, the gospel's plan is, 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 is the gospel is God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. It's accomplished through Jesus Christ. But the law was meant to show people that they could not accomplish righteousness, the, the getting back to, you know, reconciled to God through, through their own works. So the law is the law is oftentimes called the law. Sometimes it's called works. Sometimes it's called self righteousness. Sometimes it's called uh, Paul calls it confidence in the flesh. Uh, the, you know these the, the, these these are the, the the works of the law that that can't save. And so I, I think that leaves us. But but it is a but that doesn't make it bad because it can't save. It makes it useful in the sense of saying it shows me that I need an alternative. I need something other than my own strength right. to, to raise me up. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I like to paint word pictures as often as possible, give analogies. Um, my wife likes to say, you know, you can make up an analogy in a second. I think <laughs> it's because I'm a pretty like simple-minded guy in some ways. And so, you know, it helps me understand things and, you know, as a minister helps me communicate things. But I like to think of, you know, the law being imperfect to save us, you know, but the law being perfect, you know, how do you reconcile these two things? Um, I, I give an analogy when I preach on this. It'd be like a valley, you know, this huge valley that's beautiful and plush and, and it it's prone to flooding when it rains. So, you know, we'll wash out everything in the valley, you know, hundreds of feet of water. And in the middle of this valley, there's this huge tower that's built and, and it's built from the bottom of the tower. It's super perfect construction. It goes so high that the, nothing from the elements or the rain or the flood could harm you. And inside the top of the tower, you got to go with me for a second. It's like air conditioned and comfortable <laughs> and there's food. Everything you need is in there. Nothing can harm you in there. So it's perfect up there. It's perfect to keep you from the elements. It's climate controlled. It's got food. So there's nothing wrong with the tower. The problem is we just can't get there. And it's even though it's a very simple analogy, the, the condition of the tower, what it accomplishes is perfect. Um, we just could never get up there. There's no there's no way to get up there. And in being simplistic is that Christ is that ladder. Now, some people wouldn't like that because it implies works. But but I'm just saying, like, he's the only way up to the top of that. So we're not disparaging the value of the tower. Yeah. We just we just could never get there, and so Christ is the means to help yeah. us get there. And you can. I think that sorry to interrupt, but the the latter picture I think so far your analogy I'm with you, but the latter does does right. throw me off a little bit because that that does have a, a little bit of a law. I'll, and that's a good picture of the law. Whereas I think that the same picture you take and you see Christ's hand come down and grab you right. and say, "I've already ascended." to righteousness. I've already perfectly lived the law. That's why it was important. Analogies that he, aren't and, ever perfect. And he pull, but he pulls you up into <laughs> yeah, that, I like that place. That. Yeah, that. Maybe I'll change it okay. when I tell But this idea that Christ is the way to get us yeah, up there, you know, it's, it's, uh, he's the hand that reaches. It's a finished work of Christ. Yeah. But I think, because I think what a lot of people do who don't understand the importance of the distinction of the law and the gospel, they err on one side, and you've already alluded to this, but the idea of, okay, so the law doesn't mean anything. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to think about the Ten Commandments. You know, we don't have to think about any of this stuff because of grace, grace, grace. And then that does lead us into antinomianisms because we don't understand the value of the law. The law yeah. um, uh, but then on the other side, the people who that, you know think that they can keep the law at the expense of the value of God's grace. I think that's that's why it's so important to realize that we understand. And I think a scripture, you might have read a scripture that kind of points the reason why. So in Galatians 3.24, um, it says... Well, I'm going to start with 23. It says, um, Now before faith, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law came as a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, nor male nor female, 
uh, we are all one in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so this imagery of what the law, it, it has a purpose. It's a schoolmaster or in another place it says meant to lead us to God or point us to God. And so I think that we we can't dismiss the value of the law because, you know, I, a famous preacher that I, I really like, um, you know, like to say when you say you want to get rid of the Ten Commandments, which one bothers you? Like don't covet your neighbor's wife, don't steal, don't right. kill. What about that? You know, what do you want to throw away from that? No. The law is valuable. It just can't save us because we needed that yeah. that <clears throat> that great high priest. Yeah. And so, and and how you use the law, as opposed to uh, receiving the gospel. I think we put the cross in the middle, and on one side is the law, and the law demands, the law requires, the law is always do this and you shall live. The law is always telling you you should. The law is always a a a speech from a, a, a source that says there's a requirement upon you and and not only is this requirement you know you can't do it 95 and get an a like you can in school 95 is an a right. <laughs> you get a 95 in the law and you fail and so it has to be lived per perfect so all these demands are perfect where we're on the, the other end is the gospel the other side of the cross you got the cross in the middle the law demanding all these things, requirements of you with no power to accomplish it. So you're always like, here's the cross. I'm trying to get to this righteousness. I'm right. trying to get to reconciliation with God. I'm trying to get to redemption. I'm trying to get to uh, purification. And I'm, and I'm doing it through this, you know, this boulder on my back climbing up the hill and it keeps falling down. And I keep, Sifius, I think they called him, you know, climbing up the hill and falling back down and trying harder and promising more. And, and you know, so Christians living under the law are, you know, the most dreadful burdensome and you know I, I get these letters from them all the time like I failed again God's unhappy with me uh, you know I'm lost I'm I, I'll never make it and just just you feel the weight of the law in them and I just want to just you know just I just want to spend hours with them just trying to you know convince them of of the gospel and so there's on this one hand there's that and then the other hand is you're on then, then the cross itself is standing independently of the law in a sense the fulfillment of the law is in Christ on the cross, but but in in that place, then there's a whole different language now. It's not uh, the 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 gospel requires nothing of you. There, there there is nothing you can do to add to the work of the gospel. There's the law is add everything you can to do do do. The the gospel is done. It's and the cross is amen. So every so when, you know when Luther and Calvin and Melanchthon and others, uh, you know, all the reformers, when they when they told us to study the scripture, they said, everything you read in here, it's not Genesis to Malachi is law and old covenant, right. and Matthew to Revelation is new covenant and grace. There, there's grace in Genesis one. There's law in Revelation twenty twenty one. Yes. There's and you and the key to living a, a fruitful, glorious, overcoming life in the middle of place of the cross is to be able to discern between the two and then live between the two and for you and I to preach between the two to know when to preach so then when you're on the other side of the cross where, where does the law come in then and that's where that's where I say you're you're already saved you're already sanctified it's finished it's complete and now you're not striving to get to the cross by works the works are finished in you and now there's the grace is empowering you to live the the law in the sense not that you're trying to earn you know, you can go back, and that's what in Galatians he said. Why, why have you gone back? You've been wit, bewitched. Now you're going back to try to earn it again. Right. You well, started you, off in this in spirit and yeah. grace. Why you, do you think now you're going to complete it with yeah. works? Yeah. And so one is trying to get righteous. The other is I am righteous, and out of that flows the the law of God, the moral law of God, not not the ceremonial, not not not. Uh, and it's not now. Now I'm under the law to become righteous. It's now that I'm righteous. Christ is just the same way Christ fulfilled the law. He's fulfilling the law, the, the and it's and, and you know you call, maybe the words change a little bit. Obedience to God, right? Uh, you know, out of gratitude and gratefulness, I want to to live. It's holy always the categories. And pure and, yeah, the categories we get confused in law and gospel is sanctification and justification. Mm -hmm. In justification, we are right with God because of Christ, and by faith we believe that. This is what. We we believe it's not do it's believe what's been done on your behalf. Right, that's, that's, that's justification. And that's you know, the gospel. I that's think, the gospel. Yeah. And this is what I told people who struggled that are believers. You know, I'm as just I was as justified the day that my heart was converted as I will be at the end of my life. Yes, I'm fully justified. We get confused though because 
sanctification is this process. So God does something. He transforms our heart, right? And then so now we have these new affections. Like I realized I had sin in my life. I didn't even know it was sin, mm-hmm. right? You know, because the law of God is written on my heart now. Yes. And so, but I don't, a true believer, as you mature, realizes I'm not questioning if I'm justified before God is God is doing this refining work in my life. He's changing me. He's conforming me to the image of Christ. Or like it says in Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can't have a renewed mind if you have a dead heart. And so I think that that is the place where those people that really live in despair, mm-hmm. they they think that sanctification is a road back to being unjustified where where it's not. Either you're saved or you're right. not saved no. and and i think the the, the that's the, that distinction in law and gospel that we are justified before god on the basis of what christ did and here's what we really do as believers when we when we doubt that i'm not saying we don't i do too i have had those moments in my life where i was like oh my goodness am i even a christian but the truth is is what we are really doing is doubting the sufficiency of christ Absolutely. the reason preachers like to preach works is because we're afraid we're giving people a license to sin yeah. when we say listen you are covered by grace the law you know so there are people that think they're under grace because they haven't been compelled to their hopelessness under the law yeah. so they haven't come to the place where they see they truly need Christ. But for me, though, that is where law and gospel lives is in justification. Sanctification's fully justified by God and sanctification's a lifelong process. Before I defer to you, let me tell you one thing before we get too far away from it. You're talking about this idea of carrying the bag of rocks up the mountain. You know, for me, I always like to think of it like this. The law of God's a train track and I'm an engine sitting on the track. And I, there's nothing wrong. The tracks are going the right way. I'm in the engine, you know, in that, the front part of the train. Um, But no matter what, without the gospel is the engine in the engine, the coal that makes the train go. It's not about me. Like I can look at the tracks all day and think, man, I sure, you know, sure wish I could go. I mean, I don't know if you ever seen a train train up close, but, you know, if I get out and try to push it, it ain't going nowhere. What I need is something powerful. So telling people, you know, when you're preaching, hey, there are the tracks, there are the tracks. That's not going to help them. What what they need is is power, and that's the gospel. So we do need to be on the tracks. We do need to realize that this is the way walking it, like it says in Isaiah. But the power to do that comes from God and the does. gospel. Yeah, there's there's a gravity when you come to that justification, and as, as kind of as you're doing some word pictures, I have one as well on the side of the law, trying to get. How how do I become righteous before God? How do I restore what was lost in my soul at the garden? And it's it's you know the when you talk about the train tracks, remember the old uh, things where the two guys would stand there, and yes. they, they, one would push, like in the old movies, go up and down, right? And so just picture the law being you're you're you know you're pushing on this thing and you're trying to go up the hill, up the hill, and you just can never make it. You can't get to the where then justification <laughs> comes. You get to the to the cross, and all of a sudden now the gravity is pulling you. And and then you're so kind of like your, your hands free, just, right. you know. I, I'm just this is not me now. This is not my works. This is there's something pulling me into into good works. And it's interesting. The law, you can do the exact same thing under the law. Your good works are filthy rags. There's there there. It's, it's unrighteousness. It's 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 it, it it is unacceptable for God. So you could, you know, you could give to an orphan, and it be, and and it's and it's self righteousness. And God doesn't just see it as well. Uh, good try, he says that that's that's sin. You know, even your good works are, are, are filthy rags. People hate this kind of language. I'm sorry to cut you off. People hate this kind of language, but it's but this is the truth. You, the best deed apart from Christ in you is filthy rags before exactly. God. Yeah. I mean, we think no, no. Wait a minute. These people are doing all these good things. It's only Christ in us. That's why. All of our deeds are filthy rags. Right. Your best, your best on top of best on top of best gave a billion dollars to orphans. Yeah. Your your good deeds are as filthy rags uh, in God's sight apart from Christ. Right. And then, but those same good deeds now under the blood of Christ that you're in, you're in Christ now, and that the exact same good deeds you gave a million dollars away. Now, now that's the righteousness of God is working right. in and through. It's the, the process of sanctification. I would also say going back to justification and sanctification that we're made just right before God, but our sanctification is not – I think that's where some Christians get right. under the burden. It's okay. That's Galatians Jesus, 3. Jesus sanctified – Jesus 
justified, justified me. me. Now I have to sanctify myself. Right. And and I I'm not saved by the scale of good works, bad works, but I'm just I'm sanctified by the scale. So I I I I gossiped three times. I'm glad you brought that up. But I prayed up. five times. So I'm still I'm still good with God. Uh, you know, and that's where a lot of Christians get defeated, discouraged, or or trying to not earn their salvation, but to earn a sense of they're not uh, trying to get saved, but that's how they stay, stay saved. I'll stay or saved. stay okay with God. Yeah. You know, I, I I used to tell this to guys in Teen Challenge all the time. If you are truly in Christ, if if the Spirit has taken up residence in you and you are justified before God and you are a Christian, God loves you and accepts you no less on the worst possible day that you've ever had as yep. He did on the best possible day. So there's the day that I woke up and I was short with my wife and I cut the guy off in traffic and I get to work and you're mad at me and I said something foul to you um, and I'm just then at the end of the day I'm just feeling like so defeated like far from God but but on the opposite of that side of that day there's a day where I you know I was ministering to orphans and I gave a bunch of money away and I was or just preaching and I'm thinking man I'm on fire <laughs> you know it's like it's like my my the my position in front of God was no different on either of those two days now it's important to say we're not preaching in morality we're saying that the that that the the desire to do right comes from being justified comes from being born of God comes from being reborn so this is this is the problem. We we don't have the people who live in that place. God bless them. And I've been there before too. Don't have faith in the work of the Spirit of God. And so we we often think it's like, yeah, yeah, it's by grace, but you better you better do right. Well, no, the person who is truly in Christ wants to do right. Mm-hmm. I mean, once God took up residence in my heart, I, I am convicted of sins. I've learned not to be condemned in my sins. I've learned when I fall to fall forward into to Christ. Um, but th- that's where surety really comes from is knowing that it literally had nothing to do with me. And if you ever feel like you're falling out, um, one of two things is true. You weren't really a Christian to start with, or probably more likely, like Paul was ministering to the people in Galatians, mm-hmm. you 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 thought God saved you and then you took the you took the reins, yeah. you took the will. <laughs> yeah. And this becomes very practical in our Christian life now. And uh, I just want to use an example of this how studying the Word of God and living the Word of God, and because studying the law and the gospel is, it's fairly easy to come to intellectually. The law is commands, do this, but, but gives no promise. The gospel gives a promise and doesn't require anything for us to do. Right. Uh, so that's easy to do, but, but, but it's easier said than done in the sense of it being done as a uh, resolved reality in my heart and my mind and my soul and my spirit that I that I have grasped this thing of uh, that what what does it really mean to not be under the law and yet still see that the moral law of God is has uh, has a guide in into my life so so just an example of uh, of of seeing how we can twist this up and, and misuse the the law and the gospel so. Um, you know this this uh, this great thing of love love you know the, if we talk about the law you know the the New Testament sort of capsize capsize no not caps caps captures the the whole command of love right. God with all your heart love your soul and love your neighbor as yourself so in a sense even for us is uh, that's the great command so Christians we, we sort of we, we kind of go okay that's that's kind of our guide to love God with all our heart and you, and you see churches like. The church mottos like "Love God, Love People," or right. uh, you know, "This is the house that love built," or you know, those right. those are all good things. They should be, but, but here's the question: Is that the gospel or is that the law? Right. Um, so we're built on we're going to love God really hard. Right. Uh, and, and Jesus answers that question: no Is it law or gospel? When he says, uh, verse twenty-five of Luke 20, ten, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, "Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" He's asking a gospel question. Right. So why doesn't Jesus give him a gospel answer? Why did he give Nicodemus a gospel answer? You must be born again. Nothing you can't do. You I, and and Nicodemus is confused. I can't go back to my mother's womb. He's confused. There's nothing I can do. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to get him to go to. The law had done its work in Nicodemus. He was under condemnation. He knew 
his all the law keeping was insufficient. So he now he's ready for the gospel. Right. And that's where we as preachers really need to have that keen sense of the Holy Spirit discernment. Because there are times where we do need to preach the law, and a lot of Christians won't say that. A lot of pastors won't say that because they think it means we're going back to the law. I'm not saying preach Christ, preach the law to Christians, but I'm saying preach the law to moralists, preach the law to people who feel they're self-sufficient. That's what Jesus understood here. This guy thinks he is keeping the law, and he says it. The guy right. says it here. He says, um, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love God, and here it is, love, you shall love the you shall. In other words, here's back. Do this and you shall live. It's, it's going all the way back to the to the Ten Commandments. It's do these things and you live. And you remember in Deuteronomy when 28 and 29, which is which is this. I was reading this this week and it just blew me away. These people are so. I don't want to call them idiots, but if I was there, I, I, I'd be thinking, well, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Like. Um, you know, if you if you do this, you'll live. But if you don't, you're going to be cursed. You're going to burn. You're going to your crops are going to mildew. Your you know, your your skin is going to fall. I mean, there's all these horrible curses. And then they go, okay, well, what what's what what do I have to do? Uh, well, you have to you know never covet another neighbor. Uh, uh, amen. We we agree to the terms right. of this covenant. Like they should have known, don't agree to that. Just say like, I can't do that. Right. But that's, so the law has, so this guy's still thinking he can do it. I can love God. I can keep this command. I can keep this law. I can love God with all my heart and with all my soul. I can do that. And with all my strength and with all my mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, do you answer correctly? You shall do this and live. Um, but being justified himself, he said, who is neighbor? And then he tells the story. But, but look at the question Jesus asked, what is written in the law? And so Jesus is clearly saying this this greatest command that we have is is the law and the law is meant to show us we can't keep it. Right. So but but a lot of New Testament Christians who are justified trying to be sanctified to say to themselves I really want to I really want to love God with all my own heart. I really you know instead of saying I don't love God with my That's own heart. That's the key I right don't, there. I don't I don't I and I can't Right, I, uh, but but then now now you're ready for grace. Those are spiritual eyes that are open, though. Yeah, that's when Paul in, in Ephesians one says, "Open the eyes of our heart." This is what he's mm-hmm. saying because, you know what what the uh, the the lawyer because this is precedes the story of the Good Samaritan, yeah. right? You know, yeah. uh, so he gives this example, but but what a lot of preachers and you've alluded to this, but what a lot of people today, when they say love God, love people don't understand. And you've said it, but just to be clear, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself is the positive inversion of the 10 commandments. The first tablet of the law is how we relate to God. The second tablet of the law is how we relate to each other. So it's the positive side of that, you know, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, he skips past that instead of actually pondering what it means to actually love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, like he's you, like expending no cost. That's the point of the story of the Good Samaritan. He didn't, he was lavishly pouring out love on someone who is an enemy to him, who, you know, and in which he was taught, you know, they were taught to. The priest walked by the other side. You gave a really good devotional about that one time. But I feel like that's what we do is we skip past the actual applying the law to ourselves. And here's why I know that's true, because the people who skip past it and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. But who's my neighbor? That person is is thinking he's he is loving God with all his heart, mind, and strength. And who's my neighbor? So I can make sure I'm doing that, too. But so is the legalist. The person, the, the most deceived person is a person who actually thinks they can keep the law. I mean, if you if you're not brought to despair by what God asks of us in the law, then you are um, spiritually blind. And we and that's the point. The God, the law opens our eyes to who God is. When we see that with our open spiritual eyes, we see who we are. And then we're reduced to this place where we like the people in Acts say, what then must we do to be yeah, saved? That's, yeah, that's, that's what the law does. It gets you to realize the, the nature of sinfulness, the inability in human strength to escape from it and to be ever made righteous in the eyes of God. It doesn't do away. It doesn't mean we we read this and go like, oh, well, okay, since that's law, I don't really have to love God with all my heart. And because we're 
now on the other side of the cross. That's exactly what we want to do. But we realize in, the, in our own human nature, we can't do that sufficiently. No one, Billy Graham never did this. David Wilkerson never did this. Francis right. Chan is, you know, seems so passionate about Jesus, but he's not doing this. He's not loving God with all his heart. I'm not doing that. And so, and so if we're living under the law and this is law, then this is going to condemn us. Uh, you know, and that's where Christians get a lot of shame and guilt. That's where there's no rest. There's no joy. Uh, I'm not loving him with all my heart or I failed him again or, you know, rather than saying like, of course you failed him again. Uh, you know, he, 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 uh, that, that, you know, the law is still, is still tutoring you to show this, this has to be the Holy Spirit living and fulfilling in you. Hey, in the last few minutes we have together, I'm going to go, you talked about the three the three types of law in the past, the ceremonial and the other. There's also uh, historically in the church through the creeds and the confessions, they call it the three uses of the law. Yep. And and um, so and and strange words here. So forgive me if this sounds too the pedagogical, the ped, ped, uh, which which basically peda means. Uh, youth or child, like a, a pediatrician, pediatrician, uh, a child, and then the goggle is the this tutor. So a tutor of a child or a schoolmaster is the way Paul called this. When so the first use of the law is is it's the schoolmaster to try to, to it, it shows uh, we we've already been talking about this. This sure. is more of a recap. It shows us okay. Here's the law. It, it commands you to to do all these things. Try your hardest. Let's see where you end up. And the schoolmaster said, you know, and the schoolmaster <laughs> keeps you know wrapping your knuckles. You did it wrong. You did it wrong, you did it, and you're under guilt and shame and condemnation. To, but but the, but the and so when we think when we hear uh, we're not under the law as pr- a preacher or as a pastor or as a Christian friend, we we sometimes we universalize that like that no one's under the law or right. there's no use for the law or the law is not you know and that's why sometimes the Bible if you're not careful sounds contradictory. Uh, we're not under the law, but the law is perfect and good. Right. Well, if it's good, why aren't we under it? And and so understanding, discerning, and and that's why this is this this. I think that it needs to be revived in our day. This three uses of the law. No doubt. Understand. Okay. So theology matters. Yeah, I, I, that's so so right. The second one is uh, they call it the civil or the moral. Before you move on from yeah, that, sure. can okay, I say yeah, one yeah, thing? Yeah, I'd love. To, I meant to ask you. Like what, one of the one of the things that I I think two things. One is this. It is important that we preach the law. Christians need to hear it, but they need to hear it for a different reason. When I hear the law of God, it makes me marvel at God. It also makes me marvel in grace. And so, you know, but but I do think the problem with preaching the law is if we preach the law, we always have to preach grace. If you're preaching the law of God from the Old Testament, yeah. it's got to lead to lead to the cross. Yeah. And I always like to say this that the, the the simple way to say it is the law is the diagnosis mm-hmm. and the gospel is the cure. cure yeah. How cruel mm-hmm. is it to give a diagnosis yeah. if you have the cure, right? right. But you, but you, hey, you got cancer, Gary, tough yeah. luck. I'll see you later. No, Gary, you got cancer, but guess what? There's a way to fix this yeah. and it's guaranteed to work. Um, so the, 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 the law is the, the diagnosis, the gospel is the cure. And then this last thing you said about uh, what the purpose of the first use of the law is the fact that we are condemned by the law. We are condemned. This is the point of the law. We are condemned under the law. It's meant to do that. It's That's not, right. It's, it's not a, uh, uh, the law. Oh, so the law didn't really want to do that, but because we failed, it, it ended up doing that. No, the law that it was given to us for that. It's the diagnosis of sinful humanity. But here's the beautiful part. Romans 8.1. For those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because what the law was powerless to do, it, it, the, the gospel is done. You're no longer under the law of sin and death. And so that's the beauty of, of what that use of the law is because it does, it shows the lost person they're lost. And so when you preach the true gospel from the pulpit of your church, it's doing two things to two different people. To the lost person, it's condemning them so that they will be attracted to the grace of Christ. And to the person who is in Christ, it's assuring them like, man, you know, I am in Christ. There is no condemnation. This week has no bearing on my worst day has no bearing. My faith and hope is in Christ. That's that's so good. And the importance of this is that both are brought in, but they're not commingled. Right. So 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 we we read the scriptures, we study the word, we live as Christians, we preach as pastors, we preach both the law and the gospel. And I, I agree 100 percent with you. The gospel always has to be presented. You don't want to leave man 
with just just like you know week after week preaching the the you know the the pedagogical <laughs> the the commands the do this and you shall live that you bring the gospel but to use your own analogy a lot of pastors what they're doing today is they will never they refuse to tell people they have cancer that's right they just keep telling people you're fine you're you're okay you don't so people who are not even saved are hearing you're under grace you're 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 perfect the way you are you're accepted you're you're worth it you know and and so that's where the law does work but 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 they're like double barrel shotguns or they're almost two different pistols you know the uh, but when you commingle them, then that's another danger as well. What I mean by that is, you're preaching the, the law, a little bit of law, a little bit of gospel, and inviting your people to live under both of them. Right. You know, you know, for justification, gospel is applied. For sanctification, law is applied, and you're commingling them, and people are gonna, people are gonna not find. Spurgeon said, if your presentation of the gospel doesn't it assure Christians and convict sinners, then you're not presenting the gospel right. And that's the that's the whole point of, of when we're preaching, you know, the and I think if you preach, you know, a few lines through Romans, you're gonna do that. Yeah. It's gonna be and I and I think what you said is the problem of the Western and American church is, you know, it'd be like me coming up to you and saying, Hey Gary, I, I got a I'm a skilled surgeon. I can cut cancer out of people every time. You're like, Well great. That's cool. No, there has to be a moment where I say, uh, I'll give you just a quick little antidote. I was talking to a lady who was cutting my hair the other day and she, you know, I was, we started talking about God and it started with me talking about what God had brought me out of. And she said, well, you know, all that sin and, you know, like kind of like judgy stuff of God, I just, I don't accept that. And I told her, because we were in a good conversation, I said, well, your accepting or not accepting of it doesn't change the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. The question isn't, isn't God good or do you like God or do you want to be a Christian? The question that has to be answered is, is the God of the Bible actually God? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. And if it is, then you are <laughs> under the law. You all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so I always give this analogy. It'd be like me standing in front of a judge and the judge is saying, I have the evidence against you. I found you guilty. There's witnesses and we're about to, you know, rule on this and, and give you your punishment. You know, I could sit there and go, you ain't, you ain't no judge of mine. Right. It doesn't change. He doesn't the, change the authority of the judge. Right, he, yeah. He'll probably giggle at me yeah. and say, you know, 20 years in prison, yeah, bailiff, yeah, take yeah, him away. Yeah, and when, yeah. and when he hits that gavel, I'm gone. So that that's why we have to make sure that we, this isn't, we're not offering people to try God. We're saying, listen, here's the situation. You're in trouble. And, but there's a solution. Yeah. Yeah. P Peter's first sermon, the strange absence of it is never once does he say Jesus loves you. No doubt. Uh, but, but it's, but it is the gospel. It's Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Repent. The whole New Testament's yeah. absent of that message and the way it's presented mm. often today. Yeah. It's an important message. Yeah, Jesus does love us. There's, there's no question about it. But it's, but, but you know, the starting place. Here, here's a scripture that I think talks about that as we proclaim the law and the gospel. Um, this is really a bizarre. It's from Ezekiel chapter 13, uh, verse 18. Will you hunt down souls belonging to my people? And God is speaking to shepherds here. Uh, uh, um, will you hunt down souls belonging to my people and keep your own souls alive? You have profaned me among my people by handfuls, uh, four handfuls of barley and pieces of bread. Basically, they were peddling the gospel for personal gain and benefit. Um, putting to death the souls who should not die and keeping alive souls who should not live by your lying to my people because you have disheartened the righteous falsely that would be taking taking people in grace and and just pounding them with the law. You would, you would be disheartening them falsely, uh, although I have not grieved them. And you have encouraged the wicked that he should not turn from his evil way to save his life. So uh, to me, that's 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 kind of the crux of what we're talking about today is the application of the law and the application of the gospel. And the first one was. It's the schoolmaster. It it shows us our need for God. The second one, the the, the, the second use of the law, historically is in in church history has been used as the civil or the moral law, uh, not not looking at Israel, but looking at us today and saying, right. um, God still uses the law um, as that which is in the conscience of man. M man knows intuitively he's a lawbreaker. His uh, he's convicted or excused. 
by by the things in his own soul. Now, of course, we see today the the moral. And that's when it talks about moral depravity in Romans. It's basically saying this this law that's in the heart of man through creation is actually becoming. There, there's you know the fall of man disrupted it, but now even in society the you know so we're so instead of seeing morality as as the civil law and so we're now where this i think where this goes wrong and i don't want to get into this too much but where this goes wrong and, and uh, you know luther and others saw this is uh, understanding the civil or moral law of god if you put it in the lens of a government and require the government to do what it can't do then right. then you know it's called theonomy is is the idea of like that we're trying to impose the 613 commands on governments right. to keep that. So the government then commands people, love God with all your heart, and all this them, you know, which is, it, it's, it's, it can't be done. And, and so, then you get what you have in the Inquisition where people are being converted by the sword. Yeah, yeah. And Constantine, <laughs> from Constantine, it was, a, it, was a civil, it was a civil government trying to impose righteousness. And that's not what Scripture talks about in the prop, proper, the second use of the law. Properly done is to help people understand that, that, that God's good nature is seen in what would be called common grace. Yeah. That that that. So so you see your neighbor, and I've often wondered about this. You know, my next neighbor's so nice. You know, he takes out, he shovels the neighbor's lawns, and he takes out the grandma's trash for her. You know, down the street, and just you know, he, uh, you know, you know, how how could God send him to hell? He's just so well. He he is keeping the morals to some degree. He's keeping some of the right. moral law of God, but he's not ever become righteous. He's not let the law drive him to, to, to grace and stuff. So that the reason that that there, you know, that there can't be morality is because like Romans one tells us, first thing we do is we reject the giver of morality. So when we reject God, what does it say that that we didn't acknowledge him or God or give him the praise and the worship he deserves? Because of that, then so basically, what we do is we we turn out the light into our lives, and then we wonder why we stumble in darkness. The light of knowledge, the light of truth, the the you know that's what Christ said in John one. You know that He's the light of the world, and you know in Him was life and light, and light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't overcome it. So it says because. We well, let me just read this real quickly. It says for the Romans one eighteen is for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the beginning of creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. And here's the part I wanted to get to. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to give the the sort of like fallout of that. But this idea of we reject the God of morality, but we still want to be more. We can't. We're turned over to our darkened, our minds. And so this is one of those a- aspects. We see the law of God at work in nature because we see that this, this didn't, you know, I will never believe a person when they say, well, they just don't believe in God. They may have a, a mental objection, but the Bible tells me otherwise. We all really deep down know there's a God, but we don't want him to be God. And because of that, that's where all the fallout comes from. Right. Exactly right. Yeah, and that, I would say that the moral law, the second use of the law, is that, that God uses the law. The first one is to, to teach us, to train us that we're not righteous in our own strength. The second one is, is, is more like universal. It's, it's my law will you know cover this from sea to sea. Uh, my, uh, there, there is innately within it, even in the fallen nature, there is some awareness of morality of, of uh, you know and, and that comes from God that doesn't come from the devil it doesn't come from human flesh it comes from God that so so there is within our conscious an awareness of God but then what you're saying I think is is absolutely biblical and because you read it from the bible but it's it's then then even that conscience is seared yeah uh, and so there so there there are some people I think that I'd say all consciences are seared to some degree or another but some are seared to the point of moral depravity you know they they they, they are apostate they're totally given over to their sin, as Romans 1 talks about three different times, given over, given over, given over, yeah. and it becomes worse and worse. So, so they're actually 
you know, fighting tooth and nail against the moral law of God. But, but nonetheless, there is in nature, uh, you know, you, you see this common grace. You see some people are actually helping people. They're actually not committing adultery. They're, right. they're, they're not because of grace or because of the cross of Jesus, but because they, they, they innately understand some of the moral law of God. Even for the to, law to do its work, though, this I won't yeah. belabor the point, but for the law to do its work. So see, what happened was is they they ignored who God was and suppressed the truth of him for the sake of unrighteousness. Right. But so we so we don't acknowledge God. Right. But when the law actually does its work in us, what it actually does is that we actually acknowledge there is a God. Yeah. Like we, there is a God. That's what our, what our eyes are actually open to. And then from that, we see that we are sinners, no matter how good we are by exactly. worldly standards. Yeah. And then we see our need for grace. And that's why in uh, Hebrews 6 or 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 6, it says that it's impossible to please God without faith because to actually have faith in God, you must believe he exists and created the world. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is this one way is showing what happens when we ignore this and we harden our hearts to it. We go down this road of depravity, which, by the way, if you're listening at any point on that road, you can turn your affections to God and he will transform you. But but that's what it starts with. Just like you said a few weeks ago, the knowledge of God, acknowledging that the God of the Bible is and then you have to acknowledge his law and then you acknowledge that you're a sinner. And yeah. so anyways. Amen. Amen. Well, last minute we have the last one would be considered uh, again in the church history. They would write this up as the normative use of the law. The third use of the law is the normative. And this is where there's probably more debate about this, whether they, you know, some Christians would would say, no, we're, we're not. Uh, the 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 law is no longer has any use for us. It's 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 finished. It's complete. Whereas whereas more church history would say the law now for the Christian is instructive. It's not, it's not, it doesn't have any bearing on your righteousness, but right. it instructs you. Uh, it's like holding up a mirror and, and saying like, oh, you know, my hair is supposed to be behind my ears or whatever, but it's all in my face. So, so, you know, okay, I can, I can adjust like by making right. adjustments by, by the word of the Lord. So, so you don't actually take the mirror off the wall to fix your hair. Right. Yeah. Right. No, it's, that doesn't do it. <laughs> right. It doesn't work. The law doesn't work to do that. Right. It just instructs you. And, and going back to Luke 10. So even though we're saying Jesus is preaching the law there in a sense, and that's a weird thing to say because it almost sounds like, you know, because to preach the law has such a, a negative connotation in our culture, uh, but but in the right, he's using it in the right use of the law to drive this guy to the gospel, that, and so for us when we're reading that, now that we're in the gospel, okay, how do we read that? We don't, okay, can you read it as law? And then we don't, okay, we're not under that. Now we're reading it as instructive. That that's what, that's what's. This is a word from the Lord to. It's a declarative statement saying that th this is what God is pulling me towards. This is what I want to walk in agreement with. And I think that's the instructive nature of the law. And some some Christians, antinomianism is anti against the law. And so the, the, so they jettison the law from from the gospel totally, where whereas it, the, the the proper use of the the law for, you know, so so I think it was you that said it just a little earlier today. Uh, you know, like which of the which of the commands do we want? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah which, for sure. you know, do we want to say, okay, well now we're not under, so now we can commit adultery, or even as Jesus taught it, you know, he taught the law in in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, like you know, you've heard it said, you've heard in the law, don't commit adultery. I say to you, you know, the law is much more rigorous than you realized. I, you can't even look on a woman with lust. I'm not just concerned about the fruit at the end of the tree. I'm concerned about the root. Yeah, you could you could keep an apple tree manicured to a d right. degree that I would never know as an apple tree. Right. But you're still an apple tree. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what Jesus was saying. Like, I care I mean, about the root right. of, your, of your, your heart. Your Have you ever looked yeah. at a woman with a lust? You've yeah. been ever, ever been angry with your brother. Right. Yeah. And so the, so those those things now, we're, we're not trying to... Clean the outside of the cup. Trying, yeah. And even... even so, so you could say, okay, well, I haven't committed adultery. Okay, so that part's clean. Okay, but now he's trying to get deeper. So not even lust. So now I'm going to try not to lust ever again. Well, you're still trying to clean the outside <laughs> of the cup. Yeah, there has to be the righteousness of Christ that 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 resides inside of us to empower us to live the gospel, to live the you know, and, and maybe even you know, I, I'm 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 kind of catching my own terminology here a little bit more as of late. You know, and, and this is probably a whole another subject, and we're running out of time. But you know, this whole idea of living the gospel, it's like well. 
do you, how do you live something that is done for you? It's complete, right. you know. And so, uh, we don't live it, the gospel. We, we don't just, do the gospel. We preach we, the gospel. We preach the gospel, and, 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 we and we've been saved by it. the gospel. Yeah. We receive the gospel. Right. But this idea, because then it gets into this works uh -huh. sort yeah. of thing. The gospel is a that's not, this is a totally different so subject. You thought of that too. You thought about the living oh, of the gospel because it's kind of new to me. I haven't all, been, all the time well, because when you when I when when you talk about the gospel in its right form. Because I've been saved by the gospel, my job now is to proclaim the gospel. And basically, that's what we do as preachers, like what uh, Romans chapter 10, when it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, you know, uh, to the to the mountaintops. This is a picture of someone delivering a message to people. You know, the war's over. Like, I'm mm -hmm. not we're not I'm not doing anything as a preacher. I'm not saving anybody. Right. I'm saying, listen. Peace has been reached. Yeah, you're announcing it. Lay down your swords. Um, the king, even though you're a rebel, is going to pardon you if you surrender to him. But it's something that's been done and already done by Christ. And so I think we do get into dangerous territory um, when we start talking about it. And some of us, we say things because we just haven't, you know, there's thousands of times I haven't thought things all the way through. And I'm like, yeah. I probably need to correct that. <laughs> yeah. But this idea of proclaiming the gospel will keep us in the right lane because we realize that we are proclaiming good news of what Christ has done in our life and, and what he's done for all who will, who will believe by faith. Yeah, I, and, can, I can hear some people's minds going. There's, I think there's two passages of scripture where it says, obey the gospel. I don't know where the chapter and verse is. But I know then one point Paul says, you know, obey the gospel. And so they're thinking right. two, two things. I think there's some wrong thinking in there. The obedience is to the law and the gospel is commingled with the law. So, so when we say live the gospel, I think some people are thinking live out obedience, live out uh, the, the, you know, the, the works. Um, but that's not the gospel. That's, that's, that's sanctification. That's, and this might be helpful too. Just one last thing I'll say about like when you look at the writing of Paul specifically. So I'm preaching through the book of Romans right now. The first 11 chapters of Romans is communicating to us why we need the gospel, what God did for us in the gospel, how to receive the gospel, how to proclaim the gospel. It's all what Christ has did. So that language of 1 through 11 is what God has done. And then the language of 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 is now that you've received the gospel, go do this. So it's not saying obeying the gospel or doing these sort of things is saving you in some way. It's saying, listen, we're, we're, so now we're moving. If you look at the book of Ephesians, it's the same thing. The first three chapters communicate the gospel to us, why we need it. You know, the famous passage, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, you were dead in your sin and trespasses, right? But then when you get to chapter three, now that we are in Christ, now live this way. So, and I think that's what Paul does in a lot of his, he makes a, the gospel fence line. You know, this is the boundaries. This is what it means. And within these safe bounds, this is how we live our lives. And so it's okay. He's not saying, you know, be, become a Christian by loving your wife as Christ right. loved the church or become a, become a Christian, Christian by obeying this commandment. No, he's saying because you're a Christian. Yeah. And, and obey the gospel is receive it it's uh, right how, how do we obey the gospel it's like well it is spoken to us and we we just receive re it receive it just just it's an absolute gift to us and that's that's the obedience that you know that uh, Amen. is in that well good this has been interesting and a lot of good things so your series on romans how far along are you on that so i'm uh i'm going to be preaching uh from romans 13. okay so you're getting getting close getting to the close end. yeah probably find, about can, six or seven more sermons and the best place for people to get that if they want to watch that series so it's a, just if you go to my youtube channel it's pastor joshua west okay. on youtube it's you just put in pastor joshua west it'll come right up all right and some of your preaching is on the world challenge yes uh, yes youtube um, as well yes sir and, uh, World Challenge, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, I said this recently, but you know, my my channel just has expository messages. World Challenge has tons of different kinds of messages. Tons of uh, our podcasts is on there, so there's a lot of diversity of content. You know, uh, short content, long form content. So yeah. yeah, definitely. Thank you, Joshua. Hey, if you are getting fed, encouraged, challenged, uh, even angry at us for some things, because <laughs> sometimes it's the it's that frustration of the anger. Like the Bible doesn't say that. It drives you to to right. look, you know, look and see is is this really the word of the Lord? Be at the Berean, check this out. But if if there is anything provoking, stirring, encouraging, uh, would you be so kind as to subscribe to our podcast and check out our uh, websites and uh, different sites that we're doing? I'm doing a series on the Book of Psalms. I'm on 
uh, getting ready to go to chapter 30. And so these these resources are available for you if you subscribe. And also if you um, you can like, uh, you know, can give a rating, can give a, uh, and, that, and that helps. Uh, I don't know all this stuff very well. You, maybe those you're listening know more than me, but it can kind of help promote your uh, your <clears throat> content uh, in a way that gets out to a broader audience. So you actually, we, we hope we are helping you, but you can actually be a great help to us. That'd be such a kind act that you could do on our behalf. Uh, don't forget now the new release of, of the book, uh, Fire in His Bones, the 50 Most Powerful Sermons of uh, David Wilkerson, my father. Uh, that's available now uh, at, at uh, any online or at, in, your, in the bookstores around you. God bless you. Live the gospel. Is that right? <laughs> but preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Live, live under grace. Amen. Live the truth. And uh, receive the gospel. And uh, let the law do its work in you. Uh, to drive you to the gospel. It's been, been a little bit of a longer episode here today. Thanks for your patience. And uh, you know you might have to listen to this a second time to get all uh, that we're talking about. And remember to go back to episode 202 if you want to hear just a whole episode on uh, what is the gospel. God bless you. Thanks again, Joshua. Good to you. Have a good afternoon. Bye-bye now. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in the mission of World Challenge. Thank you for listening and supporting. World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Visit us online at worldchallenge.org.